ATFH family, it's just so great to uh, be able to gather together again with you. Uh, I know that some of you can't come quite yet, and so we're just really excited that we're able to offer this option for you. And continue to pray for our technical team, for Pastor Tyler, as we uh, eventually want to get to the point of being able to live stream, and uh, you'll be joining in on the service with us. But for now, this is just a great way that we can still, uh, you can still be part of the service on Sunday. Well, today we're going to look at Psalm 100. And uh, this great psalm of the, the church, and it's uh, got a, a title that no other psalm has. It's called A Psalm of Grateful Praise. A Psalm of Grateful Praise. S Charles Spurgeon talked about the fact that, uh, you know, he was a great preacher back in the 17, 1800s, and he basically said, oh, people just love to sing the, the old 100th, they called it. And uh, it's this declaration of the church and, and declaration of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, this understanding of God and who he is. But to truly understand Psalm 100, you have to read Psalm 93 right through to 99, including 100. You see, the Jewish people used to read and sing those psalms together. They kind of were a blended medley of psalms that was celebrating what life would be like under the messianic rule of God, or really what the kingdom of God would be like once it comes, and what the king of the kingdom was like. And so these are highly celebratory psalms that take us through. So understanding the kingdom of God, really, what is the kingdom of God? We've talked about this lots before. Really, it's God's rule with us. What is it like when God rules the world, rules our lives, uh, ultimately rules the universe? And so we look at these things and we celebrate them. And that's why Pastor Tyler put that video together going through Psalm 93 right up to 99. And there was so much great content there. I mean, just one of the phrases was, come, let's shout praise to God. Raise the roof for the rock who saved us. Let's march into his presence singing praises, lifting the rafters with our hymns. And why? Because God is the best. I mean, come on, that, that is some high praise there. That is some powerful stuff, which leads us really to the culmination. You need to understand the grand finale uh, of, these, of these messianic psalms, what life would be like with the king of kings ruling the world is found in Psalm 100. Let me read that to you right now. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. This grand finale teaches us how we are to worship God and why we worship God. So let's pray, and we're going to look at those thoughts today, and I want to encourage your hearts today to just be worshipers of God. Let's come before the Lord now. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ who opened the gates for us, Lord, who made a way for us to come into your kingdom. 
I pray, God, that we will know and we will celebrate you. We will worship you in spirit and in truth, God. And I pray, Father, that the joy of the Lord will be the house of God's strength, that your people will know your strength, your peace, your righteousness. In the mighty name of Jesus, give us eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts to receive and respond to you today. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Well, the psalm really starts off by telling us how to worship God. Listen to the words again. I'll just read them briefly. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Let me read a couple quotes of earlier church fathers when they talked about worship. This one's from William Temple. He was the famous Archbishop of Canterbury. It says this, what worship is, the quickening of the conscience by the holiness of God, the feeding the mind with the truth of God, the purging of the imagination with the beauty of God, the opening of the heart to the love of God, and the devoting of the will to the purposes of God. Wow, that's a pretty good definition of what worship is. A.W. Tozer, the great theologian and missionary, said, Worship is to feel your, in your heart and to express some appropriate manner, a humbling but delightful sense of admiring and awe and astonishing wonder and an overpowering love in the presence of the most ancient mystery. That mystery, that majesty, which philosophers call the first cause, but by which we call our Father, which art in heaven. All throughout, I could quote, quote after quote of the early church fathers and, and great statesmen of the Christian church as they defined worship, but really what it came down to was this. Worship involves your whole life, your whole mind, your whole body, all your senses, every part of you worshiping God, lifting your eyes upward and your heart upward and your very life upward to God. You see, it is not a casual thing to be a worshiper of God. It is not a passionless thing to be a worshiper of God. And that's where I want to start, really talking about the passion of worship. Our text said, shout for joy. <laughs> now, there's no way to avoid this. This is, this is a deep word of passion. It means blow the alarm, sound the, the cry, declare the great triumph, shout let the people know. It is this declarative, loud, boisterous celebration of God. I love that last thought. Declare the triumph. This is kind of like your Stanley Cup team winning the Stanley Cup. It's like if you're a Toronto Maple Leaf fan, that's like they win. What would you be like in that moment? You know, this is what it's talking about. It's like having the winning lottery ticket in your pocket and the numbers were just drawn and now you know you've won. This is what this is talking about. It's like if you're, you know, you're the, that beautiful maiden and the handsome prince comes along and swoops you up and marries you and brings you back to his palace. That's the amount of joy that is being expressed in this passage right now. So we need to understand there is great passion in worship. And, and we need to understand that our God has designed us in such a way with emotions and with different ways in which we can express a, a tremendous passion toward him in our worship. But it also tells us in this text the place of worship. And it was in the second phrase. It said, worship the Lord with gladness. Now, that's an interesting word for worship because in the Hebrew word, uh, it's a word that can be translated as worship or serve. 
And so your Bible might say, serve the Lord with gladness. It's interchangeable. And what it's really talking about is, you know, worship in every area of your life. You're eating, sleeping, going to work, rising up life. Every part of your life is worship. And I think for many of you, just understanding that you can worship God in the way you serve him, even at work. You know, you've heard the old adage, whistle while you work. Well, this is worship while you work. You know, and I think that's what God wants us to do. He just wants us. Worship while you work. Amen? Let your life be a lifestyle of worship. And, uh, you know, and everything that you do, guys, it's an expression of service unto the Lord. If you will bring Christ into the center, this is what this is telling us. There's a passion in this text, but there's also a place of worship, which is everywhere you are, in every part of your life, that you will be a worshiper. And it says, worship the Lord with gladness. With gladness. Isn't that great? You know, serve the Lord with gladness. I think that there's nothing worse, listen to me, there's nothing worse than being served by someone who's in a bad mood. Have you ever been at a restaurant and, and had a server who was in a bad mood and everybody knew it? They slung the dishes around, they had a long face, they just didn't want to be at work. And I'm telling you, you're, you're, you gain indigestion by being around them. You don't even want them serving you. And this is kind of like what God is saying, you guys. Like, come on, you're serving the King of kings and the Lord of lords. I'm telling you, man, worship while you work. This is what this is saying. It's time to, to not be, you know, we can't be apathetic. We can't be unhappy. We can't be moody. It's time to pull ourselves together and understand that we worship the King of kings with gladness. Hallelujah. You know, sometimes I find it a bit frustrating, if I can be honest, is that in church, as I, I, you know me to be a worshiper. I'm a pastor who loves and longs to worship. And uh, I, I just, I, I think I have to bring my highest, my greatest, my all to God at all times. But there are times when I'm on the stage and I'm watching people and I'm like, dear God, are you even alive? Like you're on your cell phones texting or your hands are in your pocket, you're not singing. I'm like, you are singing to the King of Kings. It's time to let the passion of God well up in your heart. It's time to understand that every place is a place of worship to the King of kings and to the Lord of lords. That's what our text told us. Shout to the Lord all the earth. The King has won the victory. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. I think God loves to see us raise the roof with our worship. Take a moment right now, wherever you are, and just, just express worship to God. Just kind of let it out. Just say, God, you're awesome. You're good. God, forgive me when I'm a, a, a grumpy servant. Help me to be full of your life, full of your power, full of your spirit, full of your, of your peace and your joy every day of my life, Father God. Just do that right now. So we talked about how we worship. We worship with passion and we worship in any place that we are. That's what God is saying. But why do we worship God? See, our passion, our text goes on and says this, we worship God for the wonder of who he is. Listen to what the text says. I'm going to piece it together, verse 3 and 5. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. For the Lord is good, verse 5, and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues throughout 
all generations. Hallelujah. You know, many people say, you know, the key to life is to know yourself. If you know yourself, then you're going to be okay in life. But I really kind of disagree with that. You know, there's something more important than knowing yourself, and that is to know God. That's the kind of the central part of this Psalm 100 is, you know, know that the Lord is God. Not, you're not God. <laughs> the Lord is God. And if you know God, if you really know who God is, then you begin to know who you are. As a matter of fact, I don't think you can really know who you are until you know God. Why? Because you're created in the image of God. Listen to all the things that are in the passage, those two little verses that I just read to you, that He is our Creator. Hallelujah. You're made in the image of God. You are image bearers. You have not met a single human being on the street that does not bear the image of God. You are fearfully and wonderfully made, church. Hallelujah. You know, you have a Creator who loves you, who gave Himself for you. Incredible to know that in all of our life, God is with us. And understand something, as our Creator, He has given us life. He has given us joy. He has given us passion. He has given us freedom. Hallelujah. He has given us beauty to enjoy. He has given us laughter and joy and taste buds. I mean, He is a good God. But, you know, He's also given us our share of difficulties. How many of you know that's part of life as well as our Creator? He's created us to be dependent on Him. For goodness sakes, you can't even function in a day without seven or eight hours of sleep every single day. You can't go that long without drinking water or eating food. You are so hopeless without God. You are helpless without God. And that's the way it's supposed to be. And you're thinking, well, that's kind of, that's kind of weird. No, it's not. Think about all that God has done for you. He is your creator. But he's also our shepherd, it said, that we're the sheep of his field, the sheep of his pasture. And we've talked about that. And if you missed our, our series on Psalm 23, go back and listen to those sermons because Jesus is our shepherd and our best friend. He is our companion through all of life. He lays us down in, in just quiet meadows and green pastures and still waters, but he also walks with us through the valley of the shadow of death and prepare, prepares a table, a banqueting table for us in the presence of our enemies. How many of you know that's a picture of life? There are times of great peace and great joy, but there are also times of great difficulty. You need to understand that your shepherd king is with you through it all. Hallelujah. Well, he is good. That's what our text said. He is good. You know, the goodness of God is something to be celebrated all the time. And I, I, I'm going to tell you a little quick story uh, about the goodness of God that I just experienced this last week. And man, it was amazing. So, you know, the, all the stuff that's been going on, how busy we've been at church and, and uh, COVID and all that stuff, you know, it's just been we don't know if we're going to really get away for vacation this year. So we're all, all the staff are trying to take little two-day vacations when they can, trying to sneak in these little vacations. So Betty and I did that this last week uh, during Canada Day. We, uh, we got away to go, and we got invited to go to northern Saskatchewan. Some friends have a, uh, a cabin up there in a place called Dory Lake. And uh, thank you for your great hospitality, Paul and Laura, if you're watching this. And yeah, I know that you do often, so... God bless you, we had a wonderful time. So anyways, we made this trek to Dory Lake, and I'm telling you, this is northern Saskatchewan. So we, we, we traveled along for several hours. We finally got to Meadow Lake, Saskatchewan, and then we had to go past that to about 60 kilometers to a place called Green Lake. 
And from that point, from Green Lake on, we didn't have cell service and we had to drive for about another 18 kilometers till we got to a dirt road on which we had to go 65 kilometers on a dirt road north. So no cell service on a dirt road. It had been raining pretty good, but we got there and we got up there and man, I will tell you, it was beautiful. I caught so many fish, it was ridiculous. I caught the biggest pike I've ever caught for and landed myself a 15 pound pike. We threw back over 30 pickerel. I mean, I, I love fishing and I was in awe of the fish. I was throwing back seven pound pickerel, guys. I mean, if you're a pickerel fisherman, you understand that's crazy. That, you win fishing derbies with those size of fish. Anyhow, my wife was kind of like the animal whisperer. She had a fox come right up to her and deer and squirrels and loons. And she was like, she was like Snow White. All the animals were wandering around her doing all kinds of things. But uh, we had a great time, and we really had this kind of sense after a couple of days that we need to go home a bit early. We were going to stay for three, but we said, you know what, I think we're supposed to go home. And so we did. We started our trek back down the road, and we were driving for about 60 of the 65 kilometers, about 58 of the 65 kilometers on the dirt gravel road. And uh, suddenly, poof, something, I heard a bang, and I said, oh, I think we got a flat to Betty. So I jumped out of the car. Now, Mind you, I've been on this dirt road for over an hour. Two vehicles have passed us. This is not a busy road. Are you following me? And I go out and I look at the tire. I don't have a flat tire. My tire has blown. It, it literally blew off. It was gone. It was crazy. It actually, it actually pushed my bumper cover right off. It actually snapped it right off. I had to put it back on. And, and in, my, you know, in my excitement to go fishing, I realized I forgot to bring a toolbox with me. So I'm kneeling on the ground looking at this, I'm looking at the rim of my tire now. I'm looking at this going, oh my goodness. I literally prayed a prayer, my wife can tell you. I said, Lord, send an angel. I went to the back to try and get the jack out and start taking out the spare tire. Didn't have the tools that I needed. That's okay, we could make do. But this guy pulls up not two minutes later. Remember, we haven't passed a vehicle for half an hour. He pulls up with his fifth wheel and says, hey, do you guys need a hand? in his big truck, and I say, ah, that'd be great. He jumps out, and he has a cordless impact wrench, and he's got all the tools, and this guy just jumps out, and literally, we take, we set the jack up, we take the tire off, he's like, pulls the tire off in like record time. I'm telling this guy worked for like an indie company or some Indianapolis Speedway company. We threw that spare tire on, and we were on the road. Now, what was interesting, um, he says to us, you can get a spare tire in, in uh, Meadow Lake. So remember, we're, we're still an hour at least away from Meadow Lake, and now we're riding on a spare tire. I said to him after he had helped me, I said, man, can I pay you? And he says, no, no, man, this is all good. You, you don't need to do that. I said, I'm a pastor, I told him. I don't usually tell people that, but I did. I said, I prayed for an angel, and you showed up two minutes later. He said, whoa, 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 whoa. He said, man, I've been called a lot of things in my life, but I've never been called an angel. So he's my redneck angel, and wherever you are, I pray for you now. And uh, he just helped us out so much. But understand now, we've got to drive another eight kilometers, seven kilometers on a dirt road on our spare tire, and then another 18 kilometers just to get cell service. And once I get cell service, he had told us where to go get a tire, Fountain Tire. Then we called Fountain Tire because we're 45 minutes away, still 60 kilometers away. And I can only go about 70 kilometers an hour on this tire. We phone them and say, hey, man, we got, we're riding on a spare. He says, well, we close in one hour. You got one hour to get here. 
And uh, so we did, we drove as fast as we could, which is about 70 kilometers an hour. And 10 minutes before they closed, we pulled in. But he comes out, looks at my tire, and he goes back on his computer and he says, I have one tire in my store that will fit your car. <laughs> I said, I'll buy it. You wanna know how much it is? Nope, I don't care what it costs, I'll buy the tire. Anyway, it was really good. The point I'm making is that, do you know that how God had to orchestrate so many things for that to happen? That we could have been stranded on a dirt road having to walk several kilometers just to get somebody to give us a ride so we could get cell service even to phone a tow truck. But God had different plans. He was good. But how many of you know God is good even when we don't, things don't go our way? I remember reading a story about Corey Tenboom talking about that. And uh, what she said was, you know, God is good even when we don't know. She said, I always hear people say things like, oh, we prayed it wouldn't rain for our church picnic and it didn't rain. Isn't God good? And Corey would say, yeah, but God's good even when things are not going good. And then she relayed this tragic story of saying, you know, God was good even when my sister was dying of starvation in the concentration camp. You see, Corey and her sister uh, Betsy had hidden Jewish people in their attic during the Nazi rule of the uh, Second World War, and they got put in a concentration camp for aiding and abetting the Jewish people. So she was feeling down one day, and her sister, she said, I think God has forgotten us. And her sister Betsy said, He has not forgotten us. Remember the word of the Lord. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. Corey went on and said, There is an ocean of God's love available. There is plenty for everyone. May God grant you never to doubt that his victorious love is there, whatever the circumstances that you go through. In the good times and the bad times, God is good. God is also loving. That's what our text said. See, we worship God for who he is. He's all these things, you guys. But he's also loving. And I, I remember another story, a great story of a young man and, uh, you know, we love because God first loved us, church. And we love the unlovely because God loves us in our unlovely state. There was a story of a little boy, his name was Ted Stellard. And Ted was kind of a, a little bit slower, a little bit behind, a really quiet, shy boy, really unkept, unkempt, you know, not, not doing well in school. He got a new fifth grade teacher and he went into the fifth grade and the teacher didn't really know his story. And she would every day be marking his papers and she just, how many X's he would th get wrong? How many things was Ted doing wrong? And she found herself getting a little bit angry with him, like this boy must not be trying. And then she researched a little bit about him. And this is what it said. In the first grade, her teacher wrote this comment, Ted shows promise with his work and attitude, but has poor home situation. Grade two teacher wrote, Ted could do better. His mother is seriously ill, receives little help from home. The grade three comment said, Ted is good boy, but too serious. He's a slow learner. His mother died this year. His fourth grade teacher said, Ted is very slow, but well behaved. His father shows no interest whatsoever. And then Christmas arrived and her heart started to turn toward Ted even more. And this is what happened. All the kids brought these beautifully wrapped gifts for their teacher, for Miss Thompson. And they all waited as she unwrapped the gifts and looked at them. Oh, thank you, children. Thank you, children. And then suddenly Ted's gift was there. And it was just in a brown paper, just done with some scotch tape. It looked very messy and very poorly wrapped. And as they opened it up, they, this cheap, uh, gaudy, 
rhinestone bracelet fell out with a few of the rhinestones missing and a half-used bottle of perfume. The kids started to laugh, but the teacher silenced them right away when she took the perfume and she sprayed it on her wrists, rubbed it, and then let the kids smell it, and she put the bracelet from Ted on and let them admire it. At the end of the day, little Ted came up and he said, Miss Thompson, you smell just like my mom. And that bracelet you're wearing, that was one of her favorites too. It looks really good on you. From that day on, Miss Thompson fell on her knees at the end of that encounter and said, God changed my heart toward these kids and helped me to love them. And she did. She was a reformed teacher loving all her students. That year, Ted graduated and she heard from him a few years later. She received this note from him. She said, Dear Miss Thompson, I wanted you to be the first to know I'll be graduating second in my class. Love, Ted. Four years later, another note arrived for this teacher. Dear Miss Thompson, they just told me that I'll be graduating first in my class. I wanted you to be the first to know. The university has not been easy, but I've liked it. Love, Ted. Four years later, she gets another note. It says, Dear Miss Thompson, as of today, I am Theodore Stollard, MD. How about that? I wanted you to be the first to know. I'm getting married later this month, the 27th of the month. <laughs> I want you to come and sit where my mother would sit. For you're the only family I have left. My dad died last year. Miss Thompson attended that wedding, sat where Ted's mother would have sat. The compassion she had shown to this little man had changed his life forever. You know, God wants us to love the people of this world right now, church. People are dying for love right now. They're dying for connection. They're dying for someone to notice them. And I just challenge us all. You know, we've been loved by God, and we're kind of slow too, aren't we? We're kind of not all there sometimes. Sometimes we're making so many mistakes. But God loves us, and he wants us to love this world. Amen? God is faithful. Our text tells us that this is just who God is, church. You know, the Bible says if we are faithless, God remains faithful for he cannot deny himself. You know, look at the church that God has given us and rejoice in his faithfulness, church. You say, well, yeah, but you know, pastor, the parking lot's still not quite done yet. It's kind of muddy out there. My car got dirty coming to church today. I know, but isn't God good? Isn't God faithful? Well, you know, the kids are, are in the service with us, and that's kind of not, it's a little bit disturbing. I know, but isn't God faithful? Isn't God good? Isn't he worthy to be praised? You know, the band isn't fully playing yet. I don't know why we're, you know, haven't we heard this song before? Like, isn't God good? Isn't God faithful, church? Look at what he's done. Look at who he is. He is worthy to be praised. Hallelujah. But there's a second reason why we worship God, and it's for what he has done. Not only for who he is, but for what he has done. It says, shout for joy to the Lord all the earth. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. You see, we need to understand something, that in these Psalms, Psalm 93, all the way through to Psalm 99, 
what's happening is the God that has been in the lives of the Israelites, the Jewish nation, is being celebrated. And he's reminding them of past, present, and future things. He's saying, look at how faithful I've been to you. And then there's hints that God is going to also reach out to the rest of the world. But in Psalm 100, it's no longer a hint. It's blatant. This is the first line of the psalm that we read. Shout for joy to the Lord, the whole earth. You see, that's a revelation for Jewish listeners. Because for the Jewish listeners, they were the ones that were in covenant with God. They were the ones keeping the law of God. They were the special nation, the chosen people of God. And suddenly God is opening the door. Maybe they don't quite understand it yet. We, we don't even understand it looking back on that psalm until Jesus comes, really what he was saying and what was happening there. You see, the Jews had always held a special place in God's heart. They were his covenant people, his chosen nation. But access to God for them came through keeping the law. They were blessed if they kept it and cursed if they didn't. The problem was, like everyone else in every generation of the Jewish nation, every one of them, no one could keep the law. The Bible says this, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of the Lord. But they tried. They kept trying. They kept offering sacrifices. They kept bringing offerings to the Lord. And all throughout the Old Testament, you read about like the book of Leviticus, just the an incredible list of sacrifices that they would make to try and be right with God. I think it's why things like Psalm 24 say this, who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? The one who has a clean hands and a pure heart, who does not trust in idols or swear by false gods. So for generation after generation after generation, the Jewish people would approach God and try to reach God and try to climb that mountain. Who may ascend the hill of the Lord? That was their whole pursuit, the pursuit of their life, the pursuit of their religion. But they always fell short until one day the father sent his son to open the gates and the door and to give access to the kingdom of God for them and for all mankind by the grace by which we now stand. That's why Psalm 24, first of all, goes on and says, Lift up your head, O you gates. Be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord mighty in battle. You see, our heads are bowed, church. We're, we're kind of like, I, I don't qualify. I can't measure up. I can't come in. I can't climb the hill of the Lord. But he says to us in Psalm 24, this prophetic psalm, talking about the coming Messiah, he says, Lift up your heads you ancient doors. Let the king of glory come in. And once Christ comes in, I'm telling you, the gates of heaven open. The doors of heaven are open wide to you and to me. This is shouting ground, church. This is, this is why we rejoice. And it's why our psalm in Psalm 100 says these things. Enter his gates with thanksgiving. Enter his courts with praise Give thanks to him and praise his name. This is talking about the temple. 
The temple had these courts and these gates and, and the Jewish people could get in only a certain way. They could get into the, you know, the, the outer court and, and then they would bring their sacrifices to the pre- priest. That was the holy place and, and that was another courtroom. And then there's the holy of holy that only one man got into once a year and, and offered sacrifices. But now God tore the curtain. Everything opened up. The Gentiles could come in. The Jews could come in. The gate has been opened. The door has been opened. And there's but one sacrifice that remains church there's one password to get in there's one key that unlocks everything thank you thank you God thank you God that you would save me thank you God that you would make a way for me thank you God that you would open the door for me thank you God Thank you. It's, it's the only, listen to me, church, it's the only sacrifice on earth that we will take with us into eternity. For all of eternity, the only thing we're going to be able to say to God is, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Praise you, Lord. Hallelujah. Let's open the gates with thanksgiving, church, and the courts with praise, because listen to me. This house is open for business. (laughs) The Father's house is open. It's open. And all we have to do and all we have to tell people is come in. There is room for you in the Father's house. You see, worship just isn't about being upward to God or being inward to ourselves, but it's also about being outward to this world. This is the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good, merry, joyful news. The kingdom of God is open. Hallelujah. The Father's house is open, church. I want you to be people of praise and worship. I want you to be people that are inviting your friends to come, to make their way in, to be thankful, and to know that the gate is open for them. All they have to do is come and say, thank you, God. I need you, God. I can't do it on my own. Forgive my sins. Come and live in me and help me to live for you. Amen? This is the great crescendo, Psalm 100, a psalm of giving grateful praise and thanks. Shout for joy to the Lord, O the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. Amen. Church, if you want to Get things right with God and say, I want to be a worshiper, God. I want to go forward with you in faith. Just acknowledge that to him. But maybe you're just one of those people that didn't know you could come in and have a relationship with the king. And and really what you need to do is just say, Jesus, thank you for dying for my sins. Thank you that you paid the price that I could come into the house of God. Thank you that I can worship the Lord and know the Lord and love the Lord and be loved by him. It's that simple. The Bible says those who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. If you will but pray this simple prayer with me, 
I'm telling you, God will save you. Pray it together with me now if that's what you want to do. Say, Heavenly Father, thank you for sending your son Jesus to die for me, to forgive my sins, and to open up the gate to your presence and your love. Help me to live with you and for you and to grow closer to you. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. If you prayed that prayer, let us know online. You can click on that and figure that out and, and send us a little message to let us know. So we'll be praying for you. Church family, we love you. We're starting to gather every week now in the church. So if you're able to come, you can go online and sign up for that. All our things are coming together slowly but surely. We're so glad that you could be part of this service today with us. God bless your week. Hopefully we'll see you very soon.